Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno Shoemaker, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. In this episode, I'm speaking with Damon Hacker, President and CEO and a founder of Vestige Digital Investigations, a digital forensics company. I spoke with Damon about cybersecurity best practices in 2022, and we covered password protection, two-factor authentication, how cybersecurity should not be considered a project to complete once, and much more. Here's what Damon had to say about if 2022 will look very different from 2021 when it comes to cybersecurity. No, I don't think it will. I think there's always new novel approaches and things that happen. Um, but, you know, it's really kind of interesting. I see the same things that we've been telling people for quite some time uh, are really the best practices. In fact, I was actually going to do a presentation in 2020. It was going to be called Hindsight in 2020 because people were coming to me and saying, hey, you've been doing this for 20 years now. What's changed? And the biggest thing that I said at that point in time, and obviously we're a couple years later, but I still think it's applicable, was awareness. That's the biggest thing that I've seen that has changed over the years is now people are much more aware of it and attuned to the things. But realistically, when you look at the best practices in terms of what you should be doing, it's still a lot of the same things that we've said for, you know, all these years. Um, and, you know, you'll get new things, right? I mean, you know, uh, Internet of, t- of Things uh, didn't exist back then. Eh, kind of did. We just called it something different, right? Ransomware didn't, you know, didn't exist, but it kind of did. It was malware and you know, the different things uh, from there. So there's a lot of similarities. So I, you know, in reality, I don't think it's going to be much different than 2021. And given that, what would you say are some of the most pressing, really, you need to be doing those things, these things, uh, best practices that professionals and organizations should keep in mind for this year? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I always like to approach it more from a risk-based standpoint. And that's, I think, comes in two ways. One is, what are the trends from a macro level and what are the things we're seeing out there? Um, And then, what are the things specifically for each organization? Because it may be different for one organization versus another. Um, so, you know, when you look at the things and, and I, and I tend to do like a top X amount of things, I think this year is what, maybe seven or some, I, you know, I sometimes get it up to 10 or whatever. And, and a lot of times it's the same things year after year. There's some, you know, some perennial, um, uh, attendees on that list. Uh, and then there's some that change over time, but right now here are the ones that I'm kind of watching in terms of macro, um, macro issues is uh, we still see a lot of the compromises coming about because of lost, stolen, uh, weak, and default credentials. Um, so amazingly, a number of, you know, I think the statistic from uh, some of the, uh, you know, the big studies on this show about 63% of the compromises are still uh, based upon lost, stolen, weak, and default credentials. Um, so we'll talk about, like, what are, you know, how do you approach that? 
um, phishing, spear phishing, and its related cousin, the business email compromise, um, still play a big part, uh, you know, in, in these compromises. We're becoming more aware of the vulnerabilities, right? So last year, the beginning of the year, it was solar winds. Uh, end of 2021, we had log4 shell, um, you know, novel, maybe, I wouldn't even necessarily novel vulnerabilities, but um, those are still, you know, a big part of what we're seeing. Ransomware, huge, right? Um, I also, you know, I previously mentioned Internet of Things, uh, so IoT. Uh, and then I would say the last two things on my list this year are third-party risks, and um, misconfigurations, you know, things that somebody set in one way and thought they were uh, secure and, you know, ended up not being. Given all of those various risks, how much does what you just mentioned account for the vulnerabilities people see in their technology? So when I take a look at those things from a macro level and say, okay, if these are the big things, and I also know that, 85% of all the problems are covered by these seven, eight items. Well, that's pretty good news because if we handle and take a look at those particular risks and put things in place specifically to address those, then we're doing uh, a pretty good job of lopping off the major, uh, the major things out there. So, you know, when I look at it, um, I'm, you know, I'm always reminded of, you know, kind of four things that I always tend to look at is this one is there is no one silver bullet, right? So cybersecurity is a lot of small things done well that when put together really make a much bigger, um, you know, protection, you know, layered approach, uh, different, you know, and, and there's different names for things um, and different, I guess I would say, trends that I see in things like there, you know, right now everybody's talking about zero trust um, and, you know, that's can be a good thing. Um, there's a lot of little things that, you know, can add up to being just as, you know, as powerful uh, on that one. Um, when I look at most organizations, I think a lot of times, especially in prior years, it's starting to get a little bit better. They don't have a focused approach on what to do, so they just do whatever they hear, see, or you know maybe somebody else in the in the same space is doing. Uh, I real famous one on that one is is I had a had a client who they had you know one of the uh, one of the owners had been to a, like a peer group or something, and uh, one of their peers had put in this particular technology, a data loss prevention, a DLP system, and uh, it was great. And so the exec came back and basically demanded that his IT put the same thing in place. And, you know, I don't know, he spent $100,000, $150,000 putting this in place. And within six months, they had been compromised. And, and he was, I, I, he couldn't believe it. He's like, well, how could this possibly happen? We just had this. Uh, and we put this in place. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that was not really that effective for you. Um, and, and you also put all your, you know, eggs in one basket, so to speak, and um, and thought that, you know, uh, that would, you know, that would work without really taking a look at it and coming up with a, 
an approach, a methodology for doing it. So too oftentimes, like I see, like I said, I see a shotgun approach to the, to the cybersecurity. So knowing that, how should people and organizations decide how to spend their time when it comes to cybersecurity? I really like to look at it, you know, from the risk standpoint. So if we just took those seven things, I could break those down individually and say, okay, let's, let's think through that, right? So if we know that 63% of the compromises happen because of lost, stolen, weak, and default credentials, well, what do we need to do about that, right? And there are some really good practices and some technical solutions that address that. We know passwords stink. Nobody likes them. We know that, unfortunately, they're still going to be with us for some time, maybe forever. Um, we also know that what people tend to form as their passwords generally are pretty bad. Um, you know, we're told make them complex. Well, what does that mean, right? In one person's mind, something could be complex, where in another one, it, you know, maybe that's not complex. Um, you know, it turns out actually that, you know, the number one thing that you can do to make your password harder to be compromised, not only making it complex, but the length has a lot to do with it. Because brute force, you know, trying every single combination will always work. It's just a matter of how long does it take to actually get through all those combinations. Well, what works, you know, what worked, let's put it this way, let's, what worked four or five years ago being seven or eight characters, at that time, that was acceptable because the computing power that we had was going to take a long, long, long time to actually crack that password. Today, if you're not doing a password that's nine, ten characters, um, it can be pretty easily broken in a matter of, you know, um, days, weeks, you know, maybe a month time frame. Um, and so we need to increase that length. Well, when you start looking at that, how, you know, that becomes really hard. That becomes hard for users to remember their passwords, to type them. Um, you know, one of the best practices in passwords, too, is don't use the same password in multiple places. Well, now we're asking them to make longer passwords and they can't use the same password over and over again and use them in different places. Um, it starts to point to really the only way you can manage your passwords is through a password vault, right? So that's a best practice. Everybody should be using a password vault. And I don't really care which one it is. It can be one of the online ones. It can be one that you, you know, have on your computer. Um, heck, you know, both Android and iPhones have one built in. Use it, right? Create a separate account and a separate password for every single uh, account that you use. Um, just to kind of put that in perspective. I have, I just actually looked at it this, you know, within the last couple of weeks. Um, I have like 978 accounts. Um, every one of those is a different password. I know three passwords. I know my password to my password vault. I know the password to my office because I use it all the time. And by the way, that changes on a regular basis. Usually when it changes, I can still memorize it within that same day. Uh, and it's pretty long. I think my current one's 21 or 23 characters long. 
Um, and then the third one I know is a, is a throwaway password that I use for things that I really don't care about. You know, if I get onto a website and I've got to sign up for something so that I can get a white paper. Well, great. I may use that same one in all those places, but I never use it for anything else. And how valuable is two-factor authentication when it comes to cybersecurity? The second best practice around the credentials is multi-factor or two-factor, you know, two-factor authentication. Again, you know, something you know, your username and password, and then something you have, a text message that gets sent to you, an authenticator app, one of those tokens that change every 30 seconds, an email that's sent to you. It's just something um, so that there's a yet another way that, you know, the the authentication has to happen. Um, that's a highly, highly effective means of securing your account. It's not infallible, but it's highly uh, effective uh, from there. So that's just an example, right? You know, like I took one of the trends, the credentials, and broke that down into, okay, well, what are some of the solutions out there? And I've basically done that for every single one of those top seven, eight things. And when you start putting those things together, it's like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, from a macro side, and then from the organization side as well, you know, performing an assessment and really understanding that, you know, that organization. So, um, so you know, credentials is one for that. For the phishing and spear phishing, business email compromise types of things, it's really about educating the users, right? Your users should be your first stop, uh, your first, uh, you know, uh, preventative control that you've got, right? We've got to get users be able to recognize when an email comes in that it's a phishing expedition and that they don't click on the link, that they don't open the attachment and they don't follow instructions, right? I mean, if somebody, if it does, if they do click on it and it takes them to a site and they want their username and password, you know, they don't put in their username and password because more often than not, it's not going to the right place. It's going to the bad guys, and they're just they're just harvesting those credentials. Um, some you know spam filters, uh, email filters, some advanced things there can do a really good job of being able to detect those kind of things and prevent them from even being presented to the end user. Some of the things you mentioned, I loved how you um, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how it's. Doing a lot of little things adds up to greater security. Do you feel like that's something that most people are doing now, that they are taking advantage of all of those little things? Or do you think people do maybe like two or three things and they're like, this is enough. This should be secure enough. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I think it falls into two camps. I think those that take security seriously and have recognized over the years that there is not a silver bullet, I think definitely do take that approach. Um, they recognize it's a lot of little things that add up uh, from there. But I do think there's an awful lot of of individuals, especially if they're not technically inclined, so to speak, where there is a tendency to say, okay, well, we're going to do these couple of things. And, and a lot of times it's because they look at the price and they're making a decision based on that. And, you know, they read something and, and you go out and you look at every single 
security vendor that makes a product, a service, something like that. And it touts that it's the greatest and latest and it'll, you know, it'll, you know, protect you from everything. Right. And the reality, again, is it's not. But if you don't know that, if you don't understand the complexity of it, if you don't have that recognition that it is a whole bunch of little things that add up to it, well, you're inclined to maybe do that and you, you know, your budget, your limited resources, because we all have those, tends to get to a place where you look at something and go, okay, well, we can do this and we can do this this year, but that's all we can do. And hopefully they at least recognize that okay, that's what we're going to do this year, and then we're going to continue and do some other things next year and keep adding on to it. But I've had some clients, you know, initially where they're like, well, well we just did cyber, you know, a couple years ago, you know, and they spent that money, and, that, and that's their attitude. It was a project. It was something that we did at one point in time. Why do we have to do it again? And it's just not the case. we got to keep doing all those things. The good news it was as though a lot of those small things, they don't cost a lot. It's all about just knowing about it. It's configuring it this way, doing this, changing your procedure up a little bit. Um, you know, security awareness. You know, you can do that relatively low budget. You can also automate it a little bit and go with a service. And even then, you know, it's not that expensive. So it doesn't have to be something that, you know, costs a lot. Um, just recognize that if we're only doing, you know, one or two things at a time and that's all we're doing, that you're not really protecting yourself from all the other things that could happen. Right. I mean, this is truly, you know, it's, this goes back to, you know, like, you know, 9-11 when we kind of woke up and realized that, <clears throat> you know, law enforcement has to be right all the time. The bad guys only have to be right one time. It's the same thing with the attackers, right? In essence, we've got to be right all the time, but an attacker can slip in, and once they slip in, you know, it's kind of all over. And earlier you mentioned the importance of being able to spot those phishing emails, and I think that's something I hear um, peers of mine that their organizations, you know, are regularly sending out those um, test emails to see if people click on them. Is that something you think that people are becoming better at being able to spot those phishing emails or is it still just as much of an issue? Um, no, they are getting better. Um, they're getting better because, you know, companies are taking the approach of, hey, we need to educate our users, um, you know, on this. And that's a good thing. Having said that, <clears throat> the phishing expeditions are getting harder to tell, right? So it used to be that you'd look at something in, you know, you know, an unsuspecting eye, you'd look at it and go, geez, a lot of misspellings, a lot of uh, grammar errors, things like that. There were a lot of telltale signs. Today, boy, there's some subtle ones, man. I mean, I've I've seen ones where I've, you know, actually scratched my head and was like, gosh, is this legitimate or not? Now, here's the difference. My inclination is, if I don't know, I delete it. I don't open it. There's a lot of other people that look at it and go, gosh, I don't know. I better open it because I could be missing something, right? Um, I've just taken a different approach. And, you know, and it, and it has, there's been a couple of situations where somebody has reached back out you know, a second time or have reached me via phone or something and said, hey, I sent you an email, such and such. I'm like, you know, I did not even recognize it was a legitimate email because of, and I would tell them X, Y, or Z. And 
Uh, and they, they completely understand uh, from there. But I think that's the thing is, is we got to kind of change our attitude towards that is, is instead of that curiosity and saying, gosh, I really don't know if I wasn't expecting this email. I didn't really expect an attachment, but gosh, I got to see what it is. And they click on it and come to find out that it's not um, from there. Just change that attitude. Don't open it if you don't know. Right. And like you mentioned, I think most people will, if it's important enough, reach out that second time because they want to get your attention. And then maybe then you can check to see if it's legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And for some of the more common mistakes that you see people making, I'm guessing a huge one would be, you know, ignoring any of these (laughs) cybersecurity practices. But is there any uh, really common mistakes that you hear, you know, you mentioned like just years and years people seem to make constantly over and over again? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times and and this isn't necessarily the fault of IT, um, so to speak, but but it it is something that happens is, you know, I guess if you think about why IT has been put in in most organizations, right? It isn't well, what it is for is, is for efficiencies, you know, economies of scale, making things automated, make it as convenient as possible, right? I mean, let's look at, you know, COVID and work from home, right? There were so many companies that resisted the idea of having things remote and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden we were forced into it. Now, all of a sudden everybody's looking and going, wow, this is really, really convenient that well with that convenience, comes risk, right? And I've always said cybersecurity is this delicate balancing act between what is secure and what is convenient. And I think for the most part, up until maybe the last several years, most organizations have taken the approach that we are making, we are putting IT in to make it as convenient as possible. And as such, We've resisted, and this is the mistake. These are the mistakes that people make. They've resisted putting in the minor controls that they can put in place to make things a little bit more inconvenient because those are looked at as being, well, you know, that's that's not what we're trying to accomplish here. We're trying to make things as convenient. So example, uh, we don't want to change our passwords on a regular basis because that's too inconvenient for our end users. Well, that's great as long as your end users are always creating really complex passwords and they're um, not using them in other places where if they used it on another site and that site becomes compromised, it's not the same password that they're using to get into your organization. But we know human nature is such that that's not the case. And so we've resisted making passwords required complexity or require them to use more than six or seven characters um, or require them to change them on a regular basis, right? So we see that all the time. Um, We see misconfigurations with uh, VPN, right? So, you know, everybody's coming in remotely these days. One, you know, viable way to do that is with, you know, a virtual private network. I would say in 99 times out of 100, when we look at somebody's VPN uh, setup, they are allowing all traffic between the VPN endpoints to come through uh, that pipe, right? You think of it as just being an extension of a pipe, uh, you know, the you know a, a wire, right? Um, I simply ask the question, like, if you're connecting remotely 
Do they need to have access to everything, all of your computing resources? And the majority of the time is no, you don't. They only need some of the, you know, uh, things. They need to be able to get to email. They maybe need to look at the matter management system or, you know, the taxation program. Okay. Well, those, those specific things can be limited. So that's the only thing that can happen. Um, you know, don't open it up for everything else. Um, I've had situations where the wireless, uh, this is another mistake that gets made a lot of times is, you know, the company, they go out, they buy a wireless router. It supports a, a guest network and a uh, a private network. They create the private network and they assume that just by creating it, that it's secure and then come to find out when, when we take a look at it that, you know, there was one switch that didn't get thrown somewhere and it's really open to anybody who's, you know, can, can connect to the wireless, guest wireless or not. I mean, I've literally had situations where somebody could be sitting outside in the parking lot and have complete and unfettered access um, to the inside of the organization's uh, Wi-Fi, uh, just as if they had walked in and plugged their laptop into one of the Ethernet ports. Um, so making sure that that's coming in through like a DMZ, a demilitarized zone within the firewall, that it is absolutely secured. Um, that's, you know, that's that's one of those, you know, misconfiguration things that we run into pretty frequently. There was any advice that you wanted to offer someone listening who really, really wants to, you know, make sure their cybersecurity practices for 2022 are in uh, top shape? What would you say to them? Yeah. Number one thing I would say is have a true assessment performed, whether that's internal or you have some professional come in and take a look at it. Get it risk based. Right. And then use that. Use the results of that to drive your security program, right? Because you're going to learn what the risks are for you. You're going to learn where the gaps already exist. Focus your efforts on those things. And what you'll find is that too often times we've done a lot of focus around preventing things from happening. And while that's good, you really need to look at it a little bit more holistically. We need to know what kinds of threats are out there. We need to know what those risks are within your organization. We need to certainly prevent them from happening, but you also have to flip things over on their head and take a look at it and just say, look, we know there's going to be, you know, be, you know, times where something happens. Not only can we prevent it, but we need to be able to detect, to detect it when it does happen so that we uh, can react on it much faster. And then what do we have in place in terms of a process to actually investigate it, mitigate it and recover from it um, you know, from there? So, you know, having that assessment done, following a framework and then using the results of that to prioritize your decisions, you'll find will go a lot further than simply going out and buying uh, or investing in whatever the latest and greatest, uh, you know, item that's being kind of uh, hyped is. Just stay vigilant. That's not a project, right? We didn't just do cyber in 2021 and can ignore it for the rest of the time. Thank you to Damon for taking the time to speak with me about cybersecurity in 2022. What cybersecurity practices are you doing now? You can let me know at jsalerno.com. J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. 
And don't forget to follow us wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening.